Good morning. This morning we're going to start a series that we're going to do on 1 Thessalonians, and we're going to cover 2 Thessalonians as well. So at this time, I'm going to ask Brody and Sam or Jason or someone that can help hand out. Those of you that want to take notes, we ended up getting these little booklets for you. They're basically just a journal in order to have a scripture verse on one side, and you can take notes on the other side as we go through this. And the idea came from David and Justin, who went through uh, the Galilee program, and Jim McCarthy uses these. And he hands them out to each one of their, their, uh, the guys that go through this. So after you finish the study on Thessalonians, you put this on your bookshelf. And if you ever go to look at Thessalonians again, you pull it out and you got all your notes on there. And so in essence, you're making your own commentary. Um, so we're going to give this a shot. Um, it is ESV. That's the only translation that it comes in. So we're not necessarily promoting ESV. It's just... That's just the English Standard Version is the version that has this nice little note-taking booklet. So, but it also helps. You have your translation that you use, and then you have a second translation that's going to be right in front of you, and um, you can cross-reference as well. So one of the things the uh, elders have been praying about and we've been talking about uh, is trying to get a little more of a systematic study involved of uh, presenting the scriptures in a, in a systematic way. We still want to open topics. We still want to be able to have open share as well as to bring a message, but we also want to include a, a systematic study. So like this, we're going to go through like 1 Thessalonians um, and 2 Thessalonians, then we'll take a break to open topics, and then we'll pick another book and go through and, and divide it up So as we uh, move along. Um, so that, that's the game plan. We, we, we've divided it up with uh, uh, the different men that are interested in partaking with this and doing it. So like next week, Justin has 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And then a few more weeks, David's doing chapter 3. And then Josh has chapter 4. And then uh, Sam Salazar has chapter 5. So that's where it proceeds. So if anyone is interested in getting involved in, in, in this as well, let us know. We want to get together with the men that are doing this. We want to pray about it discuss it amongst ourselves and so forth. And, and this is a trial thing. So we want your input if this is effective, if you appreciate this or you don't like it or whatever, um, how we can improve it, let us know. If these booklets are helpful, then we'll get them for each book as we go through. So th this is our goal is to systematically go through it. So when we're done with the, the book of First and Second Thessalonians, you can say, look, I got a good grasp of this book. And then we go to the next one, and the next one, the next one. So in years, you know, we'll cover the majority of the New Testament that way, and probably more just the, the smaller epistles and so forth. So we've been talking to men from the Bay Area, to the Elders Workers Conference, to the Midwest, to East Coast, and how these different assemblies are teaching the Word of God. And this is one of the things that they're doing in a systematic way. So we want to uh, attempt to do that here. And... Um, as Paul would say, that he has uh, taught the whole counsel of God, and that's what we want to do as, uh, as this assembly. So we're going to be doing it morning and night, and then we have some guest speakers come in, which will, uh, they'll be open topics. So any other questions, you can hit me up later on it. Or if you're not interested in the books and you got one, just leave it back by Sam's desk back there, by the, and we'll pass it out. So we, we bought a bunch, so there's enough for everyone to have one. First Thessalonians, one of the reasons why I think the Lord directed us in this path is it's a very unique situation, a very unique assembly. 
And one of the unique things is, is that this is a church that's on fire for the Lord. But this is a young church. This is a young assembling, which we're going to look at this morning. But it's truly an amazing thing to see, and we're going to look at it this morning and see the background of it, and how God established this church. And you can say Paul had an investment in it, but really, when you get done with it, you're going to say, God worked mightily and planted this assembly in the city of Thessalonica. This is probably one of Paul's first letters. Uh, it's a debated thing between this and Galatians. Uh, some think maybe Galatians was written first. It depends on when you consider Paul read, wrote it. But this is probably it's one of his first and earliest books, and it shows the heart of Paul and his genuine concern for these believers there. It shows how he, he, he will pray for them ceaselessly, and he's interested in them, and, and he wants to know their affairs and and uh, what's going on, because as we'll look at, he had to leave. And, um, and you're going to see that he was only there a short amount of time, but when the gospel goes out in power, it goes out in power, and it saves, and it changes lives, and, um, and people get on fire for the Lord. Yet with this young assembly, Paul in this short time established some, some uh, tremendous doctrines, such as he gave them the gospel, the trinity you see in this letter. You see the reference to election. You see Christian living and love, faith, hope. You see in sanctification and, and, um, and so forth. You see end times and, and the return of the Lord. And, and as you go through, just think about this and how Paul declared during the whole council of God. He, he fed them. He, he gave them all this stuff. And a lot of times you think, oh, these young believers aren't ready to chew on meat. Paul gave it to him, and I'm guessing, and we'll get into it, this assembly, when he wrote this letter, maybe about two years old, maybe. This is a young assembly, yet you'll see in chapter 5, you'll see that there's overseers already in place, and people that are ruling, I mean, these guys just go on fire, that this assembly, Paul will say, is that they are a model assembly for all of Macedonia and Achaia. All those surrounding churches are looking at, hearing about the, the work that God did in these, these believers' lives, and it rings forth that they're a model, and that they are enduring persecution. They are going through it, and they're not, they're not relenting. They're not backing down. So it, it's a tremendous book um, in which uh, the Apostle Paul is very interested in how they're doing. So before we jump into the book, turn with me to Acts chapter 15, and what I want to do is I want to step back and give you a, a, a little perspective to bring you into date of when this book was written and how it came about so you understand more that when, you, when we read through First Thessalonians, you're going to get the, the, the tone of what Paul's mindset is a little bit more to understand it in its proper context of what's going on. Now, Paul visited Thessalonica. It would be his second missionary journey. And uh, in Acts chapter 15 and verse 40, after the Jerusalem council and so forth, Paul goes back up to Antioch along with Judas and Silas. Judas returns back, but, um, and Silas stays there. And you know the falling out between Barnabas and, um, and Paul. And so Barnabas and John Mark take off one way. And Paul, in verse 40, says, But Paul chose Silas and departed being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. So they're going to take off. I'm not going to hit every place that they went and visited, 
but just to give you, a, 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 bring your mind up to date. So there, he takes off, and he's going to end up in Lystra, where he's going to come across this young man named Timothy. And he's going to go, and, and, and Timothy he's going to take care of some issues there. But Timothy's going to join them on their missionary journey, and onward they're going to go. And look at verses 16, 6, chapter 16, verse 6. This is interesting. Because the Lord is guiding the Apostle Paul. And when they're commended out, they're going into the hands of the grace of God, and the Lord's going to direct their path because the Lord has a plan, and he has people that he wants to see get saved. He, uh, he wants to establish churches in a certain area, and he's going to sovereignly direct Paul in the way that he's going to go. And it says that in verse 6. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. So they, they come into this region of Galatia, and they, 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 they look around. They want to go in, in Galatia, and they want to go into Asia, and the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going, because i got another route for you to take. So what they're going to end up doing is the Lord is going to lead them up to Troas. And when they go to Troas, Paul is going to go there. And once he lands there, look at verse 9 of uh, chapter 16. He has a vision. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, before their salvation ever took place, before he ever went into Philippi, before he ever went into Thessalonica, before the Bereans, the Lord was already directing Paul in the way that he had souls prepared to get saved and where he wanted to uh, establish his church and make his testimony. And as missionaries seek to go out, it's an amazing thing in how the Lord leads in this direction, how the Lord will put a, a, some, a people on their heart, how the Lord will direct certain paths and close doors and everything else, because when the Lord moves, the Lord moves mightily, the more the Lord moves in power, it might be slow moving, but the Lord moves, and when he puts his foot stepped down and his print is left, his print is truly left. And the reason why I say that is you're going to see this in Thessalonica. You're going to see that when the Lord went in and, and Paul and, and Timothy and Silas went into this town, persecution started and you would think that this would have dissipated, this would have gone away, but the Lord does a mighty work and it's truly amazing. So the Lord's leading them that way. So they go ahead and, and from Troas, they're going to sell over uh, across to uh, the agency, AGNC, and to Neapolis, uh, and then they're going to go ahead and, and, and land in Philippi. So here, Philippi is the outmost skirts of Macedonia. Now, they're going to go into to Philippi, and they're going to begin to evangelize, and many of the famous stories you know as Lydia, the, the seller of purple, gets saved, the Philippian jailer in which uh, the Apostle Paul uh, and Silas get arrested, thrown in jail, and at midnight the earthquake shakes, and uh, the earth shakes, and they're, they're, they could have went free, but they stay there. And the Philippian jailer goes ahead, and he gets saved, him and his household. So through the apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy, they're there. Um, and one thing I missed, the note is that when they uh, arrived at Troas, Luke joins them. So Luke joins this missionary journey, and Luke's going to travel with them as far as Philippi. And then when he, they leave and go on to Thessalonica, 
Luke will uh, stay there. And how you render that is Luke will change the verbiage in the book of Acts from they to we. He'll include himself in it, and then all of a sudden you'll see it go back to they. Um, and he stays behind in Philippi. So this church is established in Philippi. We don't have time to, to look at all of this, but just to give you a, a rough update. So Paul's in prison, and after he gets released from prison, they say, you got to leave the city. you got to get out of here. We don't want you here anymore. And so the Apostle Paul turns around, and he's going to head out. And look at the end of uh, uh, chapter 16, and verse 39. This is when he gets let out of prison. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. And we're going to pick up this establishment of the church of Thessalonica here in Acts chapter 7. And we'll go ahead and read it through for context. But as Paul left here, he's going to go on with Timothy and Silas. Luke will stay in Philippi. And it's about estimated about 100 miles from Philippi to Thessalonica. So they're going to head out there and um, start the work there. So let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 17. And when they had passed through, and, and, uh, my, my uh, pronunciation is so bad, but um, what is that word? And, Amphipolis, that's it. And I had a brain. Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks. And not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they had heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night uh, to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogues of the Jews. Basically, nine verses of establishing this church in Thessalonica. It's a short stay there. So basically to break it down in essence, and we got a lot of material to cover, and there's not a lot of time to, to look at all the aspects of this book, but we want to get the, the overall view of it, is the custom of Paul is that when he came in to a city, the first thing he would do is that he would go to the um, synagogue if there was one. Now Thessalonica was a very large city. It was actually the capital of Macedonia, and it was along the, the, the route that led, if you were to leave Rome and go straight east of, uh, from, uh, from Rome across the ocean and then onto the, the land there, they could travel and keep going on, and the army would use that road and hit Thessalonica, as well as there was a port there. 
And, and, and it was a nice section of, of, of a port that was protected in, in, in this little cove that goes in. So they were able to have ships go in and out and so forth. And the Romans had a, a navy that they would set up there as well. And they would uh, establish things as far as there. So you had a lot of wealthy people that came there. A lot of money there. A lot of Jews went there. As you see, there's a synagogue of Jews. So a lot of the Jews went there because of the money, the trade, and so forth, as, uh, as well as the Greeks. And... Um, that came to this city to establish their business. So one estimated about 200,000 would be population back then of, that was inside this city of Thessalonica that was the capital of, of Macedonia. Now this city was unique because this city uh, was under the rule of the Roman Empire. So Rome had their thumb on it, but because they were so willing to be under Rome's thumb, they really didn't invoke any of their, their laws and rules so much on. They let them kind of be autonomous and do their own thing. That brings you into point of this is that when the uproar came up, and one of the things they use is that they're preaching another king, which is Jesus, um, and, uh, and not Caesar, they don't want that trouble there. They don't want the Romans coming in and, and, and putting the thumb on them. They like the freedom that they have uh, to be able to do about the, in the city what they want. So Paul's there for, as a custom, uh, three Sabbaths reasoning with them from the scriptures. So you got three, at least three weeks in which Paul's in this city of which he hits the Sabbaths. He hits the synagogues on the Sabbath. And it's, it's a thing that Paul would do uh, often is you go and you appeal to the people that already believe in God. People that already have an understanding of, uh, of a God that created the heavens and the earth and as well as his own kinsmen, which are Jewish. So he's going to go appeal to them Use the Old Testament scriptures, show that Jesus is the Christ, and try to bring his own kinsmen in to the gospel of Jesus Christ and see them get saved. You have other Greeks that, are, that hang around. They like the monotheism. They like the one God. They like the, the religious aspect of Judaism. They, they like the morality and everything else. So they're also hanging around there. And Paul goes and preaches the gospel, and in three, approximately, I'm going to use this loosely, approximately three weeks, because we don't know the exact date and time of, of how much time he was there, he sees people get saved. And it verse, says in verse 4 that some of them were persuaded, meaning some of the Jews ended up getting saved. And a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Cyrus. So here you see the evangelistic efforts of the Lord through the Apostle Paul, in which he has people there, to reach, and you see individuals get saved, and now these, these Christians are gathering to Paul and Silas, and Timothy's not mentioned here, but Timothy was there along with them. Now comes the debate. How long was Paul there? Now some would take this, that he was there three Sabbaths, that he was there approximately three to four weeks. And then at, at, at such a time, as verse 5 would pick up, that the Jews became envious because here they have people gathering around the synagogue. Now people are leaving the synagogue and going to Paul and Silas, and they're going to be very jealous of this because they want to have the people in their synagogue. So what they do is they go, to a, they go on appeal to evil men in the marketplace and get this mob riled up to go and get these people out. And they go to Jason's house, in which they were uh, staying at, but they're not there, so they end up dragging Jason and the other brethren out before the rulers, and then these individuals 
are peaceful and, and compliant and go along with it, and they end up in verse 9 uh, posting bail, and they're, they're let out. But the trouble is, is that Paul and Silas got to get out of town because these Jews are riled up and these, these guys want to get them. And it's interesting how in verse 7, that the Jews who don't, they don't want Caesar's rule over them. They want nothing to do with Rome, yet when it's for their convenience is going to appeal to the decrees of seeing, saying that there's another king, Jesus. Now they want their king, Messiah, to come and rule. They don't want Caesar, but they'll utilize that in order to get these men out of town. So at the least, they were there about three to four weeks, based upon Acts 17.2 here. The question that arises that many commentators bring up is how could Paul establish these believers there with, with such depth of the scriptures in three to four weeks? I don't know. The Apostle Paul would teach night and day. He would go in, as it is in 1711, and the Berean believers, when he gets there, he says that they search the scriptures daily. They, they, he would, him, Timothy, Silas, they would all pour their lives into the, into the believers' lives, answer their questions. These believers, once they got saved, they, they were attached to these guys, morning, noon, and night, if they're not working. So many, some commentaries said they were there three to four weeks. The Holy Spirit did a mighty work. The Apostle Paul was taken out of the picture, off to Berea he goes, and it's done. Others would say, no, he had to be there probably a little more than three to four months. And what they uh, assess this by is that we don't know the time frame between verses, say, four to five, between uh, the time that he was visiting the Sabbaths to the time that they actually came in and um, the evil men came in and, and, and uh, came and attacked the house of Jason. It could have been weeks. It could have been months. You would have had these individuals get saved and start meeting and so forth. And, and, and as stuff develops and the word spreads, that it might take couple months. So most, uh, the majority of commentators do believe that it might have been three to four months, but um, the other reason why is because Paul received two gifts from the Philippian believers while in Thessalonica in Philippians 4, uh, chapter 4 and verse 16 that they shared with him while he was there, and they say, well, would they have sent two gifts within a four-week time? I don't know. This is just the, the logic they're putting before you, and I'm sharing it with you. The other thing is, is Paul was there long enough to gain employment. In 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 through 9, he, he, he labored night and day, and he made his own money. He wasn't a burden upon these uh, believers there. And he makes this argument, and he's going to carry it through in 1 and 2 Thessalonians, that, that uh, he wasn't a burden. He didn't demand money. And if he was there longer than three or four weeks, he, he could have been a burden on them. So he, he labored himself. But the point I want to make out it is, irregardless if it's, Three to four weeks, three to four months. God put his foot down. God established an assembly. God did an amazing work in the lives of these believers because what ends up happening is, is and we know from the writings of 1 Thessalonians, and you'll see, is that Paul is very concerned for these believers and their well-being. And, and what, where are they at in the Lord? Have they dispersed? Are they still gathering? What are they doing? And it shows that Paul was in the initial evangelism stage, but he wasn't necessarily there when the church got established because he had to leave. The other brethren coming behind him, and that could be. Um, but you did have some people that come in, and they're going to criticize Paul. They're going to 
They're going to tear Paul's character down. They're going to attack his, his integrity and his, his, uh, his love for them and saying, he really didn't care for you guys. He was just after the fame, the money. Look, he's gone. He's in the wind. And you're going to see the heart of Paul in 1 Thessalonians. He's going to say, no, I prayed for you guys ceaselessly, night and day. And I couldn't stand it that I had to send Timothy to go and find out your guys' well-being. Paul's heart for them was tremendous. So as you move through this book, you'll see how Paul was there a short time. But man, the Lord did a work. And sometimes it's amazing because we, we try to think of different unique ways in which to see the church grow in human wisdom and, and strategies and so forth. The only strategy was God was behind this. Paul went in, he says, I, I, I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified, that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ, and he had to suffer and die, and on the third day rise again. I just preach Christ crucified, and then these, these evil men are going to run him out, but God is going to go through the power of the Holy Spirit and gather up these believers and establish this assembly that becomes a testimony to all that is around. It's an amazing thing when God is behind something that we don't need to use our strategies. We don't need to come up with new and clever ways in which to see people come into the meeting and wish to preach the gospel. We just give the testimony. We give the gospel in its simplicity as Paul does and people get saved. And when they get saved, the Holy Spirit does a mighty work and they get on fire for the Lord. And you see when the Lord works, people's lives are changed and things happen. It's truly an amazing thing in which the Lord did in Thessalonica, as well as Philippi and Berea, and as Paul sweeps through, we give a lot of credit to the Apostle Paul. He was a faithful servant. But really, it's the Lord who plants those assemblies. It's the Holy Spirit who does the work, and we're just mere vessels in which he's using. Russell will attest when he goes out preaching the gospel. Is it your articulate speech that you see people get saved? Is it his good looks that draws them in? He is good looking, I know, but... Um, It's the power of the gospel that saves people. And, and it's the Lord working in their hearts and in their lives. And before Paul ever gets to Thessalonica, the Holy Spirit is working in these believers, in these unbelievers' lives. He's drawn them to themselves, and he sees people that are looking and, and searching for the true and living God. How many stories are there of missionaries that, uh, that, that all of a sudden they arrive at some uh, distant place and the, the, the locals there go, man, we've been praying that the true God would reveal himself to us. And it's an amazing thing. And this is what the, the Lord has taken Paul and doing. This is what the Lord wants to do today. And one thing we want to look at in studying this is look at it in its proper context, in, in the day it was written and what it applies to them. But also we want to draw out meaning to us and apply it to our day and age. And that the Lord's arm is not short that he could save today that he can plant new churches today, that he can work mightily amongst us. The immorality in that day, the, 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 the Christ rejectors, the, the evil member justice is, is prevalent then as they are today. You know, we, we get up in arms in, a, in America here when we start seeing the unrighteousness, the immoral immoral, immorality and everything else rising up and, and homosexuality and everything else. And we're up in arms because this is our Christian nation. They had it back then. And we got to stand firm, and we're going to go through the persecution, the same thing that they experienced. 
back in that day and age. So Paul has to leave and he goes to Berea. And there he begins. And I love this of Paul, about Paul. As soon as he gets in there, he looks around and he begins to evangelize again. No fear, no, hey, let me hide out. Let me take a, a, a break. He goes right into the synagogue and begins preaching the gospel again. And in verse 11 it says, They were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, and that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Now, all of a sudden, these, these Jews that are in Thessalonica follow Paul to Berea, and all of a sudden the attack begins on him there. So what ends up happening is... Uh, Paul has to leave town again because they begin to stir up the crowds. So in verse 14 says, Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea. Both Silas and Timothy remained there. So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens, and receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. This is going to bring into the introduction of when this letter of 1 Thessalonians was written. So, Paul is in Berea. He's forced out of there because the Jews from Thessalonica chase him. He leaves. And now he's going on to Athens. And there and he's, he's in Athens for a time, and he begins to preach the gospel. And he's waiting for Timothy and Silas to join him there. Now, in the book of Acts, it doesn't say that he joined them. But if we look over at, hold your place here in, in, in the book of Acts and go to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to tie this all together, and then we'll get into the, to the book here, time permits. Now, Paul's in Athens, and Timothy and Silas come to him, and he is so concerned about these uh, Thessalonian believers that in verse 1 of chapter 3, he writes this, Therefore, when we can no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith, that no one should be shaken by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. So while Paul is in, the, uh, in Athens, they're concerned about the, the, the believers there. So he's going to send Timothy off, and Timothy's going to go to Thessalonica to find out what is going on. Now, Silas, it doesn't necessarily say, but he, I, we believe he went with Timothy, and Silas perhaps went on to Philippi to check on them as where they are. And the reason being is because if you flip back to Acts chapter 18, Paul is in Athens, and the next thing you know, Paul has to leave Athens. And uh, verse 18:1 is after these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth. And now Paul is in Corinth, and Paul will be in Corinth for 18 months, a year and a half, in which they believe Paul penned these two letters to the Thessalonian believers. So Paul is in Corinth. Timothy and Silas are away. They're checking in on these, these assemblies, and all of a sudden, they're going to come back, and Acts chapter 18, 5 says, When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. And back in uh, 1 Thessalonians, Chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. 
So here, when Paul was in Corinth, and he, I don't know how long he was there, but he, he had recently got there, Silas and Timothy hooked back up from their Macedonian uh, um, travels and go and meet Paul in Corinth. And at this time, Timothy is going to bring the report of what the Thessalonians are going through. What are they experiencing and everything else? And the Apostle Paul at that time, when he hears this report from Timothy, is when he's going to sit down and he's going to write this letter. It's an amazing thing. And I, I, I imagine, and it actually says there in Acts, that when they came and gave him the report, he, he was just excited to hear the work that God did, that once he left, and here he's praying for him night and day, that the Lord established their souls and, 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 and built them up in the most holy faith and to see this assembly started and flourishing and going forward. They got their hiccups. They got their problems. They got issues they're going through, and he's going to address that as he writes this letter. And then he's going to send this letter off to them, and then they're going to bring back word again. And then there's some other issues that he addressed in First Thessalonians that weren't corrected. And as well as other accusations, other false teaching that came in, such as the day of the Lord had already taken place. And he's going to address that, um, as well as the busy bodies, the unruly people that are, are causing contentions within the assembly. And he's going to address that in 2 Thessalonians again. So this is our context. This is a young assembly, maybe two years old, was written, they believe, probably A.D. 51, maybe into 52. And... Um, and it's one of the first letters that Paul wrote to Thessalonica, or to, uh, one of his first letters that he wrote to any of the churches, but uh, he wrote to Thessalonica here. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Hopefully that gives you a good background understanding of where Paul's mindset is, how far along we are in the missionary uh, uh, journeys. He's in his second missionary journey, and they've gone in there. The Lord's establishing these churches there. And, um, and now Paul, as he gets word from Timothy how these guys are doing, he's going to write to them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, and we'll read the whole chapter here to give you a little uh, context and mindset. Verse 1 says, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brother, in your election by God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all of Macedonian and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. As you can see, the tone in which Paul is, is very excited to, to write to him and, and how he is very, in his tone, excited 
that this word of God, this gospel went out in power and that these believers took root and that they are living a life of faith and are going on with their testimony for the Lord. If we were to, within the eternal evidence of this, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives us an outline of the book. And one of the outlines is verse 3, in which I want you to take through you throughout the entire book, in which if we had time, we would go and look at these different references. But the first one is, in verse 3, and there's three things here mentioned, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. If we were to get an outline, the Holy Spirit's going to give it to us, and that he's going to write, and he's going to uh, give us an example, is that these testimony of these believers there is these three things characterize their walk with the Lord and their life. That they had a work of faith, a labor of love, and a patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at these three real quick and um, before we go back up to the top, because this is kind of the outline. The first thing is their work of faith, is that the gospel went out and it did a work in their life, is that these believers truly trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they truly believed in the word of God and the promises that God has for them. And what accompanies faith is when you truly believe, salvation is free and it's by grace. We don't earn God's favor for salvation. It's a free gift that's offered to every individual, and we accept it by faith. But when you believe, a work starts in your life. God not only does a work in your life, but the works start to flow out of you into the, the community, into the assembly, into your workplace and everything else, and a work begins to take place. Because if we truly believe something, we live it. We have to put it into action. We have to apply it towards our lives. And it's one thing to say one thing and not do it. But these Thessalonian believers not only believed what the word of God said, they weren't just hearers of the word, but they were what? Doers of the word also. They applied it towards their life. They went out and evangelized. They went out and spread the good word of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They went out and served one another. Their lives changed. They were no longer these individuals that were of the world. They, they were uh, um, consumed with the living God and serving him. The next thing is labor of love. Labor of love. This word labor um, carries the, the meaning of intense labor united with toil, even to the point of fatigue. That these individuals were so willing to labor for people that they love, that they, they were consumed with it. They didn't care if it was sleepless nights. They didn't care if they worked all day and then went and preached the gospel at night or, or served the believers at night. They were consumed with their love, not only for Lord Jesus Christ, but that love that they had for him flowed through them to the other saints and to the other unbelievers. So much so that their labor for love for them was so great that Paul would say they become models, examples to all the surrounding churches. That their love for one another was so great. This is the characteristic we should have for not only our assembly, but every assembly. That we not only have a work of faith, but we have a labor of love. And they say, man, those Christians really love each other. They really serve one another. They are giving self-sacrificially. This word love carries the idea, and it's the, the, the Greek word agape that everyone knows. 
is divine self-sacrificing love. That's unconditional. Are we truly being characterized in our life as a labor of love for one another? Truly sacrificing, truly serving each other to the point of exhaustion? This is what these believers were doing. And it's gone out, and this is what Timothy comes back and reports, that their work of faith is tremendous. Their labor of love is out of this world. And the last thing is their patience of hope. Patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Timothy 2.13 says this, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They had a proper perspective of life, as did the Apostle Paul. And you can only get this from being around the Apostle Paul and his view of the return of Christ is that Paul truly believed that the Lord Jesus can return at any minute. Any minute. This characterized Paul's life. This motivated him to, to, to press on. And he would have taught these believers that, look, you might be enduring infliction right now. You might be enduring persecution. It, it, Paul is not telling them that, hey, let's smooth out the waters and God's going to give you this prosperity gospel type of thing where everything's going to work out. He, he'll tell them later on in, in chapter 3, look, man, I told you guys that persecution is going to come, that you're going to go through trials, you're going to go through tribulations. Well, let me tell you, at the end of the road, the Lord Jesus Christ can come back at any day. And this characterized their mind that they were living for the moment that the Lord Jesus could come back, so i got to redeem the time right now. i got to live for him right now. You see, Christians with the proper view of the return of Christ, the rapture, they don't have time for, for living a life of, of pleasure, of sin, of living a life for self, of being caught up with all the nonsense of life because they're so consumed that the Lord Jesus can return at any minute that they want to be consumed with doing the work of the Lord right now, of evangelizing. And the question is, and as we bring this and we see this motivated, uh, the, not only the Thessalonian believers, the Apostle Paul, but the early brethren. This is one of the things that the early brethren brought through the writings of Darby and others and Kelly, that they had this idea of the imminent return of Christ, that any moment the Lord's going to return and take us home to be with himself. And we got to live in light of that. Why are we building up our own homes and we should be building up the house of the Lord? Our own homes are going to burn. Our own homes are going to be left beside. Why are we not going out and living in light of this? This is part of the thing I was talking to Dave about it, is I think we've lost this sight of the imminent return of Christ. And his question was, how do we bring it back? We have become asleep at the will. You know, people have been talking about the return of Christ for so long, it's become common knowledge. It's become like, oh, yeah, I've heard that before. Scoffers in the last day, it says, will come and, and will mock the mere fact that you've been saying the Lord Jesus can return forever, and he hasn't returned. Where is he at? The New Testament church believed in the imminent return of Christ. This motivated the early brethren, and now we've fallen asleep because it's become common knowledge that do we truly live in light that the Lord Jesus can come back and in the moment in the twinkle of eye, every single saint that's accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior is going to be gone? Or do we live for self? Do we live for our own pleasures? 
and building up treasures on this, this earth or moth and rust come in and destroy. We've got the opportunity right now to build up treasures in heaven that are eternal and that glorify the Lord. And whatever tribulations you go through, whatever trials you're experiencing, the, no, at the, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is this resurrection of the believers that when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, he's going to take them home. And the Thessalonians believed this. And this characterized their life. And, the, and Timothy picked this up as he was visiting them. And he went back. And he said, look, Paul, this is what they're doing. And he's just overjoyed in this. So that would be the outline. And as we read through here and as we, we look at this, pick these certain things out that Paul is going to make reference to. If we were to look at a bird's eye view of the book also, the first half would be uh, the greetings and so forth and um, encouragement. But then he's going to go and he's going to... Um, attack those that have attacked him. Well, not necessarily attack, but he's going to defend himself of those that attacked him, in which you'll see in, in, in chapter 1, more in 2 and 3, in which he has a true genuine heart that others came in and said, Paul didn't care about you. Look at man. He preached the gospel. He got what he got out of you, and he took off and left. And that's farthest from the truth in which the apostle Paul is going to appeal to him that, no, my heart is 100% with you guys. And I love you guys, and I want to see you established in the faith. That he would even say in uh, verse 18 of chapter 2, Therefore we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. You see, that's the attack of Satan, and he does that in the church as well. People that begin to point fingers at other people and say, Man, they, they really don't care about you. Look, they're more motivated by their own self-gain. They're, 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 they're not really laboring in love. And that's the attack of Satan, is to, is to get in and internally divide us up to try to break down that we truly don't care about one another. To attack the elders. What have you done for me lately? How have you served me? How, how, do you really care about me? To attack one another in this manner. That's the work of the devil. That's the work of Satan. To bring that division amongst us so we begin to fight and we no longer have unity, no longer go on for the things of the Lord. We've got to not let the enemy come in and divide us in that manner. We all have love for one another. We all have life we're dealing with. We're all going through different stuff. And to understand that and, and to uh, live in, in peace and harmony and love with one another with understanding and giving understanding to each other. This letter was written in verse 1 by Paul, who also was there with him, Silas and Timothy. And what it says is to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from, our, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he also will say, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers and for those same things we just mentioned. And we're going to have to close here because we're out of time. But this is a very standard greeting in which he gives, and we can look at it more tonight if need be, but uh, we'll get through the, the rest of the chapter tonight that we can dive right into it now that we have the background of it and to go forward. So let's close in a word of prayer. The gracious God, Father, we thank you so much for this example of the Apostle Paul and his self-sacrificing life of, uh, of going out to spread the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, we are amazed at uh, how Paul would be in Thessalonica such a short time. But the power of you, Father, that, that we cannot point that this assembly started by any one man, 
by any human intelligence, by any uh, craftiness or wisdom of man, Father, but it was established by you, O God, that the Holy Spirit did a mighty work in this city, and he saved souls and planted a church there that would be a testimony and a light to all that is around. Father, may we, as we study this book, that these Thessalonian believers and what they, how they live their life, may they be a testimony to us and be a model to us that we want to emulate them and live for Christ as they live for the Lord Jesus Christ, that we'll go on. And Father, give us that zeal and that passion for you. Give us a fresh uh, vision of the imminent return of Christ, that we will be about your business. And Father, we'll, we'll say no to self and we'll live for you. Bless this study, Father. In the name of Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.